Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to another exciting episode of Tripping Up, a comedy travel podcast. I'm your host, travel blogger and solo travel expert, Nina Clapperton. This week, I'll be taking to the seas with Jennifer Smith, author of Green Ghost, Blue Ocean, no fixed address. Jennifer is an author and an adventurer. She found her passion for sailing later in life when she met her husband. Together, they learned to sail before embarking on an offshore sailing adventure. Jennifer is someone I can really relate to. She didn't want to wait until retirement to start living her dreams. She saved a bit and then took off to make them a reality. Along the way, she met some rough seas and dealt with mechanical failures like a champ. After 13 years of life abroad, Jennifer has returned to land in Canada, although she continues to sail with her husband, Nick. Now boarding. Hi, Jen. Welcome to Tripping Up. It's a pleasure to have you with us. Hi, Nina. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to be part of Tripping Up. Yeah, I think it's going to be a really great experience. Um, I've read your book and I think it's going to be very fun to talk about some of your travel. But before we get started into the book and your travel trip up, I'd love to know a bit about how you travel, why you travel, a bit about your travel background for our audience. Oh, well, I think I travel. I love the physical world, physical geography. I love seeing places. Um, I'm probably more of a place addict than a people addict. I think some people travel because they're people people. And I'm, uh, I'm really very much in love with the planet, I guess you could say. Yeah. So as a young person, I traveled after university, as many people do. And I did a backpacking trip through Southeast Asia with a girlfriend. And then I did a graduate work and I traveled again uh, with my then boyfriend, now husband. We backpacked around uh, New Zealand and Australia together. And then I had a long time period where, as many people do, you get bogged down in work and your travel destinations aren't quite as exciting. Um, You know, they're more sort of holiday trips than traveling trips. Uh, But I've always been um, really into a journey. So I do tend to, I want those, you know, two or three weeks off, even when I'm working to to do something bigger. But um, in our 30s, my husband and I got very antsy, I guess you could say. And we really wanted to find a way to break free and, and live differently and have more movement and travel in our lives. And so we got involved with sailing and that really took off in our minds as this incredible adventure and this way to move. 
through the world. And we set off on a huge offshore sailing trip, which is what the book is all about. Which is so incredible. I mean, I get hugely seasick, so it's not for me. Um, but my stepdad is a sailboat. And so I was telling him all about it and about kind of your round the world adventures. And I think my mom was petrified that I was sharing all these ideas with him that she might have to go on. Yeah. She's thinking, <laughs> don't give him any ideas. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, she wants the places. She's very much a place addict as well. But I think she wants a different means of getting to the places. Fair without, enough. Yeah. Yeah, without all the trip ups. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's a fascinating background. I think most people, when they sail, they don't think of offshore sailing. Um, they think of like catamarans or those like kind of smaller sailboats you get for a, a little bit like kind of trip through the BVIs or something. But yeah, offshore sailing is so incredible. It must be such an adventure. Yeah, it's an amazing feeling of freedom. I think for both my husband and I, we're, we're both very outdoorsy people. And so we both immediately had a feeling that when we, when we started sailing off the West Coast uh, in Vancouver, that you, you would look out to the West and the feeling that you could just keep going. You know, I just, you know, we, we couldn't get that out of our heads. Like if you've got the right boat and the right gear and you're ready you could just keep going. And we thought that was the most fascinating idea. So that was really what sparked us. And then everything became about that. So we just focused on making that happen for ourselves earlier in life rather than later in life, as many people wait till they're retired to do that kind of thing. But um, we, were, we were just game to get on it and, and do it while we were still young. Yeah, of course. And I think that's, I mean, like life is such a mystery. You never know what's going to happen to you. So like better to start now and like to enjoy it. And I mean, it's like people who will like save up for retirement and then I don't know, sit around watching TV and let that money go to waste. It's like, no, do the adventures like while well, you can <laughs> and then watch TV later. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I think probably something that might have, um, it wasn't the reason for our desire to go offshore, but it, it certainly, um, I guess you could say, put more wind in, the, in our sails. My father was diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's disease when he was 61. Oh. And so while our dream was um, developing in our minds, I was looking at my father becoming very ill. And, you know, he never got to retire. And so I think that probably really fueled us in terms of um, I didn't need to I didn't need to explain myself or or make excuses for wanting to do a, a big trip in our late thirties. I just thought you know you don't know like as you say you don't know yeah. what's going to happen in your life so seize the day. Yeah, which is a great motto. And I mean, if your boat wasn't called uh, Green Ghost, I would have called it Carpe Diem then and just seize the day. Like, <laughs> go for it. Go for and, it. Exactly. And I'm sure with all the amazing travels you did that you've picked up an odd souvenir. And we'd love to hear about your weirdest souvenir that you've collected. Okay. Um, I... I like the term collected because I really yeah. like collecting. I became um, sort of a crazed shell hunter when we went off sailing. And I, you know, because I love the natural world, I love finding natural souvenirs. So I would beachcomb for hours and hours. And when we were in the Pacific, particularly in New Caledonia, um, you can find um, Nautilus shells in New Caledonia. Oh. And I became obsessed with wanting to find one, but they're very, very difficult to find. 
uh, you find broken pieces of them all the time, but to find a whole one was, well, virtually impossible. And I didn't find one there. I bought one there because I thought, well, I, I need, I need to have one. So I did buy one in a market there, but it wasn't until several years later when we were off the West coast of Sumatra and we were in that area because my husband loves to surf and we had gotten in our dinghy and we were going to go and sort of scope out some surfing areas for him. And we were just flying along in this really calm water and we went whizzing past this thing in the water and it just caught my eye and it caught my husband's eye. I thought it was a baseball cap floating in the water. Okay. And we both looked at each other like, what was that? And uh, he did a big circle back around the dinghy and he stuck his hand in the water and he scooped out this thing and it was a perfect Nautilus shell. Oh my it, goodness. It was unbelievable. It was floating there. It was, so we found it absolutely naturally. Um, it's about six inches across. It's huge. And Can you describe the shell for our readers who don't know what a Nautilus is? Okay. A Nautilus is one of those, um, it's a, like a spiral shaped shell. It's, um, how, what are they called? They're, um, it's a mollusk, I guess is the right term for it. And it, a cephalopod is the other right term for it, but they typically live very deep in the ocean. So they have been found up to 700 meters deep. So wow. they're a pelagic species that is not normally at the surface. So the shells, I believe, rise to the surface when the animal dies and the shell might rise up to the surface and float around and then eventually wind up on a shoreline somewhere. So they're the ones that you might see um, they're called chambered nautilus shells. So sometimes they're cut in half and you can see all the beautiful chambers oh, yes. inside. And they're, they're quite rare to find. So it was yeah. really just a fantastic thing to, to find and find it in its natural environment. And, you know, I, I put so many hours into looking for one and to just come across one like that was just wonderful. So that's, that's amazing. It's of, yeah, it's one of my prized possessions, honestly. And it was almost exactly the same size as the one I had purchased. So the two of them look quite beautiful sitting on a shelf together. And so are you using them as like bookends now or how are you displaying them? I'm just setting them. They're just sitting uh, on a shelf that's underneath our, our um, television. It's on the, and nice. it, they're, they're quite fragile. So they're not, uh, they're no good for holding books up because they oh, just okay. get <laughs> But yeah, they just, they're just beautiful to look at, I think. That's amazing. Yeah. And it's so nice that it did kind of come to you when it was ready to come to you. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I, I always hesitate buying um, natural items in a market because I, I don't like to think that they've been, um, you know, harvested in a way that they shouldn't have. So uh, I was so pleased to get one that was just naturally out there floating around waiting for us. Yeah. I mean, it definitely kind of caps off like a perfect little trip and I think it, I don't know, I've become more spiritual as the podcast has gone on and I've heard a lot of these like things coming to you at the right time stories. So it does feel like, I don't know, travel really puts you in touch with that and gets you in the right spot and then shows you that you're in the right spot with these lovely little gifts. Yeah, that's a nice way of thinking of it. And it's something I learned after the fact when I did a little bit of research on on these shells and you know what they were and what, what animal lived inside them was, I learned that the word Nautilus literally means sailor. Oh, wow. So I thought, oh, what perfect. That's a perfect thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> perfect it's like a little mascot for your trip. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, I love, I love hearing about cool souvenirs. It's 
so much nicer to know that there are things out there that aren't snow globes and keychains. Uh, <laughs> but now it's time for a different turn for your travel. I'd love to know about your tripping up travel story, please. Okay, sure. I thought I'd relay a story that um, it's not so much about sailing, but it's a, it's a trip that we did because we were sailing. We ended up in South Africa and went on a road trip with some other sailing friends. And we, we rented a car and drove up uh, to Botswana from South Africa. And we had it in our heads that we wanted to see the Okavango Delta, which is you know, a very uh, famous geographic location. We'd met a person who'd been there and told us it was a fabulous place to visit. So without any uh, planning ahead, we turned up in a town called Mon. I th- I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce it, but M-A-U-N. And that's in Botswana. And we went to a backpackers that was known for booking trips on riverboats up the Okavango Delta. And we were quite optimistic turning up and thinking we could just jump on a boat because we learned when we got there that most people plan these trips months in advance. (laughs) So when when we rocked on up to the counter at this backpackers and said, yeah, we'd like to go up the river for a couple of days, they were thinking like, well, when? And we said, well, tomorrow. And I think they thought we were crazy, but they said, well, let's see what we can do. So they, um, we're actually able to find a couple of boats. I mean, I don't think we fully appreciated what it took to go upriver. First of all, it's, um, it's a, I believe it's, well, it's a UNESCO World Heritage Site. So there's campsites at the Delta, but they have to be booked. And they only allow so many people to be in the area at one time. So we didn't even realize that. So the first question was, would there be campsites? Um, the next question is, are there guides available? The next question, you know, was there boats available, camping gear available? Somehow they managed to pull it all together. And within about an hour, they came back to us and said, yes, we can do it. So we thought this is fantastic. We had three, I think it was three, four days, three nights or three days, two nights. I've kind of forgotten now, but um, they set us up for the very next day. And off we went in this flat bottom boat with our guide, Alec. And it didn't occur to me at the time, but of course, because we were coming in last minute like that, I think we were getting the crew that was perhaps less experienced with the river. Oh, no. (laughs) Yes. So the guys who did it all the time, they were already busy. (laughs) They were bored. (laughs) But, you know, Alec was great. He had fantastic eyesight. None of us could believe all the different animals and birds he could pick out and point out to us as we went up the river. And... um, We were, you know, I guess as tourists are, just enjoying the experience. Um, And we noticed that from time to time, Alec would stop the boat and we would go very slowly through an area or uh, every now and then we would feel the bottom of the boat nudge the bottom of the river because it was just before the rainy season was starting. So the river was quite dried out. But he was pretty good. He, he was finding the deep spots, getting us through. And he would every now and then have to lift the engine up a bit, get us through. And then every now and then he'd stop and he would get all the weeds out of the propeller. And we, I didn't think too much of that either. I just thought, okay, he's on it. You know, he knows what he's doing. At one point then he stops the boat. He pulls up the outboard. He takes all the weeds off and he kind of does a look around. And then he just gets it, he puts the outboard back in the water and he guns it. And he just goes flying through this area, very tall reeds. And we come around a corner and there's this hippo that comes flying out of the, the reeds. 
the hippos on land, it charges the water, comes flying into the water. We go flying past. I think, wow. And I was thinking that because we had come ripping through this area with this loud outboard that we had startled this poor hippo and the poor hippo was running for cover. So later in the day, we stopped for lunch and we got out a little picnic and sat on chairs under a tree. And I thought I would ask our guide about that particular moment. And uh, I said to him, so I guess we must have frightened that hippo. And he said, no. And he was a, a man of short phrases and a very <laughs> serious face. I said, oh, I said, well, how come, how come the hippo was running to the water then? And he said, hippo was charging us. And I thought, what? <laughs> it never <laughs> occurred to me that a hippo would charge an outboard boat flying through. And my husband said, well, did you know that hippo was going to charge us? And he said, yes. And my husband said, how, how would you know that? Is that hippo always right there on that corner? He said, yes, hippo is always there. Bad hippo. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, here I was in my naive little world thinking that we'd frightened the poor hippo. But no, this hippo was trying to run us out of the area. <laughs> and uh, I'm kind of glad I didn't know that before we went through there, honestly. So I asked him, I said, well, you know, does the hippo ever get the boat? And he, he just said, yes. I said, oh my God. Okay. So then what, what happens? If hippo bites the boat and the boat has a hole, I run it up on the bank. And I said, okay. And, and then what would have happened? He said, then you run. <laughs> wow. All right. I'm really glad uh, we didn't experience that. But um, yeah, I was quite taken aback at how aggressive these hippos are. So we were pleased to get by the bad hippo with no issue. But then through the afternoon, things uh, continued to get uh, a little bit hairy because once again, we weren't realizing what was happening, but Alec would stop the boat and we would drift for a while with the engine off and enjoy the bird sound. And I thought again, oh, isn't this lovely? He's letting us hear the birds. But little did I realize that he was stopping our boat to listen because he knew that the second boat that had all of our camping gear in it was nowhere to be seen. Oh, and of God. course... As a client, I was just, yeah, wasn't this lovely? <laughs> I hadn't been paying attention to the other boat. I guess it wasn't my job to pay attention. But of course, Alec was paying attention because he knew that the other boat should have been in front of us with the idea being that they arrive at the campsite and they set up the camp so that when he pulls in with the clients, it's all ready to go. But um, yeah, he was not hearing this other boat. And you know, he didn't tell us that at first. It wasn't till quite late in the afternoon. It was getting, you know, you could see the sun getting quite low in the sky. We're asking him, oh, Alec, how much farther? He said, oh, it's not far. But again, he stopped the boat and he just sat there. And we thought, okay, well, you know, this has been nice, but let's, let's go. Let's carry on. And he said, no, we can't. I said, well, why can't we? And he said, the other boat was operated by a fellow named, they called Captain. He said, because Captain is not here. And we thought, well, um, couldn't we just go to the campsite anyway, and we'll just wait on land for the other boat? No, he said, can't do that. 
And we waited another five or 10 minutes. I thought, this is, just doesn't make any sense. And I really didn't like the idea of drifting around in a, in a small boat with these hippos around and it's getting dark. Like I was going to be much happier to be on solid ground. So we said, Alec, you know, we really think we should get to the camps. And he said, no, we have no fire. And we thought, what do you mean? And he said, you can't be in a campsite in Africa in the dark with no fire. And so he felt it was safer for us to just sit there drifting on the river. And we're like, oh my gosh. And my husband then was rummaging around his backpack furiously and he pulls out a lighter. He says, Alec, I have a lighter. So then Alec is like, Yes. And he immediately started the engine and we realized, yeah, he didn't want to be drifting around either, but he wasn't going to tell us that. So he starts up the engine, flies down the river and we get to the campsite and we immediately start collecting wood. He told us, don't go anywhere out of sight um, because I need to have my eye on you at all times. And normally you're not allowed to collect wood on the Okavango because that is um, prohibited. He said only in an emergency can we collect wood? But this is an emergency because we cannot sleep here without a fire. And I said, well, why, do, why is the fire so important? And he said, because it keeps the animals away, most of them anyway. Oh, goodness. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, I was collecting firewood pretty fast by then. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, you know, that was a little bit shocking. And in, in the end, it, it did get dark. Um, rain was coming. Fortunately, the rain skirted us, but it got completely dark. We got a big fire going and we started uh, taking turns to, take, to keep watch, to listen for the boat. And about, I think it was between nine and 10 o'clock, the other boat showed up. Thank heavens. Oh and they had all of our gear and the food and the tents and they were very embarrassed and, and very apologetic. But you know, it was actually kind of a, it was a great ending because it made for a good story of thinking, oh my gosh, we're just going to have to sleep on the ground out here in Botswana with a fire <laughs> and nothing else. And it turned out fine because we ended up with everything we needed, our tents, our sleeping bags and a lovely meal. And, um, you know, we realized that, okay, I guess our guys really didn't know the river so well. The other boat had gotten stuck in the shallow water more than oh. a few times and it was their inexperience with the river that had caused their delay so that was a a bit of a a fun adventure that could have gone a little bit wrong but it turned out to have a good ending <laughs> i mean we're definitely glad that you weren't caught by the hippo who sounds kind of like a, like one of those grumpy old men on his lawn who's like get off my lawn you kids <laughs> but to every boat that goes by <laughs> Yes. Yeah. That hippo had attitude. That's for sure. Oh my goodness. I think it's, it's interesting though, to like learn about the different animals in different places that do kind of, they're more intimidating. They have some territorial issues. Like you just don't think of, cause I mean, in all like the images you see of Africa, everything's chill and tame and like, and if they're being awful, they're being awful to each other and not to the people, <laughs> but you don't think of all the work that goes in to keep them nice to the people. Exactly. Yes. Those guys, they really know, they know their stuff, those guides. And Alec, he knew that exact spot in the river. He knew there's no dawdling there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I, I mean, and like, even if they're less experienced guides, they seem better than some others you could have gotten because at least they knew about the hippo and they were aware of that one giant issue. <laughs> exactly. We were very, very pleased with 
with Alec. He was great. And I, I loved his very, um, you know, he was completely unflappable, whether he was deeply concerned or um, very happy. You would never know the difference. He was just a very even keeled guy. So I think that was a good thing because he didn't, he didn't project any worry on us. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Which is great. Yeah, I think that's a sign of a definitely a good um, adventure guide, I think, where it's like the like they say on planes where um, you know that everything's okay if the flight attendants are still chill and like everything's okay with them. But the second they look worried, you know, things are bad. It seems like with him, even when things are bad, you don't know, which is also kind of good. <laughs> exactly. He kept us completely calm. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I'm, I've never been to Africa. I desperately want to go. I've been to Morocco, but I don't count that as I count as Africa in terms of the continent, but not in terms of the wildlife, which is a goal of mine. Um, so my tripping up story is a bit further away than yours, a little bit um, more into civilization. But I, much like you, decided that I didn't want to wait for retirement to travel the world. I thought it was really important that I get out there and see everything. And that was partially inspired um, by the fact that I graduated my undergrad and I could not find a job. Apparently an English literature degree and a creative writing degree, not super helpful in life. Um, <laughs> I didn't realize, but I applied to like 198 jobs. I was really bad at writing cover letters and 
like resumes. So definitely was not putting my best foot forward, but um, didn't get any of them. And I remember like sitting in this classroom, just thinking like, what am I going to do with myself? I had chosen to take a year off to go to law school. Like spoiler alert, that never happened. I decided that was not for me, but um, I decided I was going to go to Europe. I found this program called Workaway that lets you work abroad for free in exchange. Uh, you volunteer and then you get free accommodation, free food in all these really cool local places. And so it was like, I think like the night or two before, and this happens to me a lot where I get like intense buyer's remorse about travel before I leave because I have anxiety. And so that means that like, I trip up before I even leave. I decide in my head that I'm going to trip up and I'm going to have all these horrible things happen. So my mom and I had this like really, I think it's like her least favorite thing, but it's kind of a fond memory for me now. But every time I would travel, um, like the night before we'd end up she'd sit on, I had a basement bedroom with the stairs going into my room. So I'd sit on the floor surrounded by like packed t-shirts and well, not packed, they were folded. They were supposed to be packed <laughs> t-shirts and suitcases and like camera gear and cords and everything everywhere. And she'd sit on the stairs having a glass of wine because she needed it to deal with what was coming. And I would just have an absolute meltdown. And I remember this time it was bigger because usually I had an end date. Usually it was like, I'm coming back on, I don't know, December 1st or this or that. But this time I was sitting there and just feeling like the weight of the world on my shoulders because I was taking this huge leap. I had no savings. I'd saved for like two months for this adventure. I had been cut off because that was the rule in my family is once you graduate undergrad, you're kind of on your own. Like you won't starve, but you also need to be an adult now. Um, and I had chosen not to get a job partially on my own terms and to do this adventure. So I'm sitting there like I'm an adult now. I have to do this thing because I still, I wanted the experiences. I knew that they would be so good, but they just, they were still out there and they were still unknowns. So I remember just sitting there on my floor crying because I couldn't wrap my head around things going right. And eventually like she got me on the plane, God bless her, don't know how she did it. Um, but I was on this plane and my first stop was Frankfurt um, because it's a great hub. I'd been there before, so I kind of knew, uh, or no, actually at that point, I don't think I had been, but I think it, it was a hub enough that I could figure it out and there was some English there and then I could head off to my first experience. Um, but I arrived and then everything started to quickly go wrong in all the ways I had oh, no. unfortunately anticipated. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. So I, the flight was, I mean, flights to Europe from Canada are always a little bit awful. They're long. Um, this was an overnight flight, which I hate doing. I, I just don't, I'm not a fan of them. Um, so I got there and then there was the whole process of like waiting for the bags. Mine was of course the last one to come out. So the whole time I'm sitting there thinking like, I packed my whole life away in this bag for at least a year away. Everything I own, like, and I've, I've never been one of those people. I don't do things halfway. So either like I have every safety option in my backpack. Like I have an extra change of everything or I have nothing. And at this point I had nothing. Like when I was at the airport to leave, I realized I'd forgotten my travel adapter and had to oh, like yeah. 15 minutes before boarding, run around the airport looking for a store that was open to find a new one. So got one, I'd called my dad in a panic, even though like 
he had no way to help me. Um, cause I guess I was still holding on to like that childhood aspect of like, they'll fix it. But I was like, Oh, you gotta be an adult now, Nina. Um, but yeah, so in Frankfurt got the bag eventually. And then because I was on a budget, I had all these plans to like take the train and figure out the train and German wouldn't be hard. German's very difficult, especially if you've never seen it before. Um, I didn't have a phone plan there. I didn't have anything set up. I knew I had an Airbnb to get to those outside the city center, which like, again, is a budget travel hack. It's not a beginner travel hack because like the three train transfers I needed to get there were so impossible. It took me I think an hour and a half to get from the train station to this place, the next or the airport to this place. Um, the next time I did it, it took me about 15 minutes, which shows you how badly it was going. Um, I got on the train in the wrong direction. So I'm seeing like all these stops go by I'm waiting. And I'm just thinking like, it should be here by now. Like, I should be able, they said it was like three stops away. I should see the stop. I mean, they sent very detailed instructions. I should have a sense of this. I've taken trains before. Um, And so eventually, like there were no maps anywhere and I didn't have data. So I had no idea what was happening. Um, And there was no one on the train either, which was always kind of like creepy when there's like an empty train carriage. So I take a risk eventually and just get off and hope to find something that'll help me. I'm just kind of wandering on this strange train platform looking for people in, it's getting dark now, it's not great. Um, Well, thank God there was like one little conductor man in like a little booth somewhere that I happened upon in, I kid you not, a murder basement. Like the lights were flickering above us. He's in like his little like glass cage. Um, It's all dim and like that golden glow of like dying light. And he clearly has no interest in helping me. Um, He's trying to do his job. I don't think his job involved customer service. I don't know how I'd gotten there, to be honest with you. So I'm not sure that he was prepared for this experience of a crying, what he probably thought was an American girl, just like trying to get somewhere. Um, It took a little bit of hand signals and writing down the place I needed to go. Thank God for printouts of Google Maps um, for helping me. And he was able to direct me back in the opposite direction, um, which then created a whole other slew of the the second transfer. I did the same thing. Um, I need to learn which way is east and which way is west, clearly. But yeah, I I mean, it was was hugely stressful. And the entire time sitting on those trains, because you're just sitting there alone. My phone was like, basically useless. I listened to everything on it while I was on the plane. So I just kept thinking like, what did you do? Like, why did you do this? I know that it's a good idea long-term and you're going to be happy about it. But like at that point I had studied abroad and it had gone terribly. I had moved, I kept moving away from my family and then regretting it. So I was kind of petrified that like I'd made this choice with like before they were financing me. So it's like, okay, things go wrong in Scotland, mom will buy you sushi for dinner. (laughs) Now it's like, things go wrong in Frankfurt. What are you going to buy you for dinner? Like it's on you now. Yes. So it was hugely stressful. Eventually I did get to the Airbnb and they were lovely. They kept me up long enough that I could like then go to bed at a proper time. Um, But it was just one of those experiences where like 
even as I walked in the door, I kind of, I think I plugged in the charger, the adapter and it started whirring and I was like, okay, that's working now. Like check one on like the to-do list of sorts of the, you figured out a challenge. And within like three days, I think I had figured out like four pages worth of challenges. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And so like there were no charging hippos, but I think my anxiety was my charging hippo where it kept coming at me again and again and again, trying to be like this, like, why did you do this? Why have you done this to yourself? Who made you do this? <laughs> what What's happening? And why, why are we in Frankfurt where we don't speak the language? Why are we heading to all these, like, I was no pair at one point and I'm terrified of children. So I'm like, why did you, <laughs> why did you choose that, Nina? <laughs> um, yeah, but it, it did all turn out well. The Unfortunately, my first night was capped off with a very um, anticlimactic moment for me. My sister is a huge Anna Kendrick fan. She'd been filming a video or a movie with Blake Lively beside our house in the neighbor's house. So my sister had been like camped out stalking this poor woman. Um, and so finally, the day that I left and started my adventure in Europe was the day my sister got to meet her like hero in life. And so no one in my family cared that I had launched this experience. (laughs) So, (laughs) um, yeah, kind of a travel trip up in the, like in the anticipation of it, I guess, um, where, yeah, the excitement of like Nina's going abroad was like, oh, she always does that. Sophie met a famous person. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Well, it sounds like you love putting challenges in front of yourself. I think I do. I think I'm addicted to the anxiety of it. And like my adrenaline rush comes from like overcoming little things. Um, Eventually I built up to like in New Zealand, I went skydiving. I swam with wild dolphins. Like I'm getting better at like putting interesting challenges that aren't anxious challenges. Um, And yeah, and like looking back, it's been a couple of years now, but I already am so grateful I did that year abroad. I think it's like I didn't, I went around most of Europe. I wasn't financially able to circumnavigate the globe. Um, but it was one of those experiences where I learned a lot about myself. I, it's the reason I didn't go to law school. It's the reason that I, with a moment's notice, uh, booked a flight to New Zealand for 200 bucks and just kind of said bye to my family and then left New Zealand with just as much notice to move to the UK. So yeah, I, th- I think there are those moments of growth. And if I'd waited till I was older, I wouldn't have been able to, I might be able to afford better. But even then it's like, now I know I can make the money back if I'm 65 and blow it all in one year. Then you've kind of, you've kind of screwed yourself a little bit where like now you <laughs> right. <can> start again. <laughs> you have a so plenty like, of earning years in front of you. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Like with yeah. you as well, where you and your husband were able to kind of make pit stops along the way to go back. And um, when you felt the need for city life again, you could kind of pick it up when you felt like it and then go back when you're ready for sailing. Yes, that's right. And you make a good point. I think the older you get, um, you know, the more you have to think about your financial situation. You can't, you can't mm-hmm. risk your financial situation the way you can when you're younger. And yeah. I think it, it's wonderful to be able to take those risks when you're younger, because as you say, you have plenty of time to, to earn you know, left in your career and working years. And, and then you'll have all those experiences um, to take with you through life. And you have all that growth that you've had that you've, and, and challenges that you've put in front of yourself, which is fantastic. 
Exactly. And I mean, I think physically as well, you're able to handle a lot more physically. Like I'm sure your husband, if he was in his eighties would not have been okay if he had gotten his head stuck between two pipes, but when he did, he was young enough that he could recover. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Youth is definitely a bonus for your, your strength and resilience. That's for sure. Yeah. And I just, I think too, you learn so much more than you do anywhere else. Like I, I don't know, Canada, we learned Canadian geography and that we have to cover in all the color in all the islands of Nunavut, which was always the worst experience growing up. Um, but like European geography, my sister and I were learning it as I was traveling. Like I only learned it the way I knew what country was physically close enough to get to next. And she was learning it when my mom would relay where I was and how I had gotten there. So it was like this active learning experience that even though I've been traveling since I was like, two years old. I didn't know what was beside France other than England because Canadian history kind of teaches you that. But like, I couldn't have told you how to get from Istanbul to Serbia. And now I know because I did it. So it's, yeah. it's a very like, it's a very hands-on thing that I think is really underappreciated. Yeah. Extremely educational, extremely great for your geography. I think. Yeah. 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 In fact, whenever I sit with someone who wants to tell me about whatever travel they've been on or show me photographs, I always want to have a map book or an atlas or, or a computer screen where I pull up the place I, I need to know. I need to know where is it geographically yeah. speaking. And then I can sort of, all right, now tell me your stories. Cause I just want to sort of zero in on where is this place on the planet? Yeah. And I think that's, it's a good for context. It's good for your own knowledge and it's kind of fun. It's just like, it, I don't know. I think like globes were everywhere when I was growing up and now you can't find a globe unless you're in like a pottery barn or something. And I would like, I'd love to see more of them. That way you can like figure out where everything is. And like, I remember when I moved to Scotland, I was surprised to find out that Scotland was North of Halifax. I lived in Nova Scotia for a while and so it got darker a lot faster there. And I assumed that like they were kind of on par or something. Like I had no real sense of it. So when I moved to Glasgow and it was getting dark at like two, 3 PM, I could not figure out what was happening <laughs> until wow. my mom was like, Hey, longitude, latitude. Did you forget that? And I was like, yeah, I genuinely did. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, we've already started talking about some of the positives of travel, but this is the point in the show where I like to kind of remind our listeners that even when we trip up, travel is so worth it and it's so important to still do it. So I'd love it if you could share a travel triumph, a moment that kind of reaffirmed your love of travel, something you're looking forward to, any travel positive really. Okay. Well, I, I said earlier that I, you know, I'm probably uh, more focused on locations and travel. And, uh, but I would like to say that I think the, the sort of really beautiful moments that you can have when you're traveling are the people moments. And I remember this one moment we were in um, Vanuatu on this island where uh, carving was very popular. They did some beautiful carving. And I wanted to buy this little carving a, a man had done out of, uh, it's a volcanic island. And this carving was done in this white ash rock. And it was kind of, um, kind of like a, a tiki head, I guess you could say. It was a very stylized um, head, I guess is what you'd call it. And it was just a small, you know, it fit in the palm of your hand. It was just a small carving. And I was trying to be 
you know, respectful and serious. I was trying hard to communicate because the, the language wasn't, uh, the, he had some English and, and we were just trying to get by, you know, describing, you know, what he hoped to, uh, get for this piece. And I, I asked him quite seriously, you know, can you tell me, you know, what is it and what does it represent? Because I'd just like to understand. And he looked at me and he said, evil spirit. And I thought, oh, oh, I, I was sort of just taken aback. And then he looked at me and he just burst out laughing. <laughs> <laughs> and he pointed his finger at me and he just kept laughing. And it was just a sort of a, aha, I got ya. <laughs> and I just thought it was the most fabulous moment because it just makes you realize that we're all the same, all yeah. people all around the world. We're all the same. We like to joke. We like to kid. We like to pull one over on the tourist. Um, you know, I guess he could tell that I was trying so hard to, to be, you know, serious and respectful about his art. And he was just like, ah, this lady. <laughs> I, get a I love that. Yeah. Well, that. That's so like, I haven't been to Vanuatu, but I experience a lot of the Maori people. And I find like the Pacific Islanders are all sort of that way where it's like, they, they know how to play you. And I love it. Like it, they're so playful. They, and like, yeah, they do take pride in their artwork, but they are very willing to joke with you or kind of accidentally scare you about it. Like I spent um, an evening at a Tamaki Maori overnight village in uh, Rotorua, which was so fascinating. We got to learn about their culture. They taught us like traditional games. And like, I learned how to sing the alphabet in Maori, which was really interesting. Cause like languages are very hard for me. I'm very, very, very white. So my tongue doesn't like roll the way it should or whatever. Um, but it was, yeah, like they would do the same thing where like they'd start teaching us a song and then they'd throw in a dirty word just to make us all laugh. Well, to make each other laugh and then eventually to tell us and then make us laugh. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's good. I think it's great when there's those, those moments of human connection, you know, yeah. you, it really makes you remember that moment, that person. And um, yeah, it, it brings you uh, a very good feeling that people are good everywhere. Exactly. And that like, even like, I think one of the things I've also learned is that language is not an impediment to making friends around the world, to having those moments, because not, unfortunately, usually the locals will have learned more English than I will have learned of their language, but hand gestures are so helpful. Um, yeah, like I think the moment that I remember most from my time in Europe, um, I was living in a very tiny mountain village called Zvetel in Austria. It's like spelled Z-W-E-T-T-L, but I'm pretty sure you're supposed to pronounce it like a V. I'm, I don't, can't quite remember. Um, and I was no pair for these like 16 year olds helping them learn English and like walking the four dogs, which was great. But the grandfather didn't speak much English. So he would, he had a few words that he could say. And one time I was in my bedroom um, on my phone doing something and I had my hair like wet from or in like the wrapped up towel from the shower. And he walked by and pointed at me and just said, handy, which is like for us, not a common thing someone would just point at a woman and say uh, I wasn't sure if he meant like handy like handy man if he meant handy as in the sexual act what was happening so I kind of looked at him and then um 
eventually he just started like kind of fake typing with his fingers and he was like handy and so it turns out handy is the like slang term for a cell phone in all of Austria and Germany but I I just sat there like what happened like what have you said to me and so from then on because he thought it was hilarious so he burst out laughing once like he once I was like oh and he just thought it was hilarious that I had no idea what he was saying um but from then on for the next like week I was there he every time he saw me he would just make a joke and like just say always on your handy or always hand like whatever just to like make me laugh and I loved it it was so sweet that's great yes I like so humor is very cross-cultural yes definitely (laughs) (laughs) which is why this podcast exists. I think it's a great way to kind of uh, handle the darker things, to handle the scary things and just to kind of live happily. Yes. Yeah, it's great. I love the title of your podcast. I love it. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for joining us. It's been an absolute delight having you on, Jennifer. And I cannot wait to talk about your book right after this. Thanks, Nina. Attention passengers, we've now reached our destination. We hope you enjoyed the flight and have a nice day. I've always loved the idea of seeing a hippo, but I think I'd be a lot less thrilled if I were in Jennifer's shoes and I was being charged. And that was just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to Jennifer's travel trip ups during her adventures on Green Ghost, her sailboat. If you're at all interested in sailing, traveling the world, meeting interesting people, or having everything go wrong, I'm talking no wind to sail with in the middle of the ocean, then you really need to read Green Ghost, Blue Ocean, No Fixed Address. I read the book while tanning next to Lake Ontario during lockdown, and if at all possible, I highly recommend having the sound of waves crashing against the shore to really complete the book. Green Ghost, Blue Ocean is a travel memoir, adventure book, and a sort of sailing guide You'll learn Jennifer's mantra to overcome difficulties, Nick's inability to say an idiom correctly, and the compassion of humans around the world. Everyone needs a group of long-distance sailing friends to call on an HF radio. It's a harrowing tale of overcoming your self-doubts and redefining yourself, set to a backdrop of some of the most incredible places in the world. You'll join Jennifer and Nick as they, quite literally, take on the world together in this brilliant book. Get Green Ghost, Blue Ocean, No Fixed Address, wherever fine books are sold. You can find out more about my thoughts on the book in my review on my blog, ninaoutandabout.ca. Do you have a funny, harrowing, or just plain odd trip you want to share? Have a souvenir you think is weirder than one that our guests have shared already? Send it in to be featured in a future listener mail. Email trippinguppod at gmail.com for a chance to have your email read by one of my awesome guests. I'll be back in two weeks with another incredible guest and some more fun tripping up travel stories. Until then, safe travels. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.